Well, would you turn to the third epistle of John, please, this evening? We have been uh, studying for the last few weeks a series that we're calling Prosperity Proven. And our text, our golden text, if you will, is 3 John 2, a familiar verse to many, but none of us have exhausted all the light and revelation from this verse of Scripture. There are things here that we've not yet seen, because the Word of God is alive, it's living, amen, so multifaceted and multi. Uh, so many sides of the splendor. It's living. You look at it today and, and you see something. You look at it tomorrow, you see something else. It's alive. But in 3 John 2, let's read this. 3 John 2, he said, Beloved, I wish, or the margin says, pray or desire, above all things. Now, who's talking here? We know that it's a letter. We know that it is from the elder John addressed to the well-beloved Gaius. We know the same thing about Ephesians and Philippians. It is from the Apostle Paul to the saints at Ephesus. Letters. But how many believe there are more than just historical letters that were sent from one person to another person? Right? If that's all they are, they ought not be in this book. Right? But no, these are words from the Holy Spirit that came through men to the saints, to you and I. And it is the living word, right? For all men, for all time. So is it correct to say that these words and all these words in this book, these words are God speaking to me? Is that correct? Well, then what is the Lord telling me then? That he desires for me above all things. God doesn't just throw words around. When he says, I desire this for you above all things. Wow, this is important. Because he knows all things. (laughs) What is it that the Lord is saying to you and I that it is his will and he desires for us above all things? What is it? That we prosper. Now that, you know, that one phrase right there, millions of Christians do not believe. They don't. What about that next phrase? Prosper and that you be in health. Is this word God speaking to me? Did the Lord just tell me that it was his desire above all things that I prosper? And it was his desire for me above all things that I be in health. Hmm? Should I accept that as from God to me? Absolutely. Well, then why is it that millions of Christians, millions, it's sad. I mean, there's people languishing, good Christians in hospitals all over the world today, dying and hurting and in agony and have just said, well, if this is the will of God for me, then I just will, you know, whatever he wants. How does that agree with this? I desire above all things that you be in health. See, the devil has lied to the church and has convinced the church through unscriptural teaching and preaching over the pulpits of churches for centuries. And what happened? I tell you what happened. You know, this thing started off with healing and miracles, didn't it? Jesus went about doing good. 
And healing all who were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. That's what he did. Right? I mean, we're Christians. Christ ians. Those who are disciples of the anointed one. Well, then we ought not be following somebody else. We ought to be following him. What did he do? He went about doing good and healing. All. A-L-L. All who were oppressed of the devil. There was not one time where Jesus ever looked at somebody. And sometimes it says they brought the sick from multiple cities. Multitudes. Thousands they brought to him. And there was not even one so-called unlucky one out of all those thousands and multitudes that he said, I'm sorry, it's not the will of God for you. I'm sorry, it's not time for you. Not one. Not one. Then why do millions of Christians believe that instead of this? Because it takes responsibility off the believer. And people like what I call no-fault religion. What does that mean? See what happened. This thing started with healing. Jesus, I mean, they had healing lines nearly every meeting. I mean, of everything and anything. You could think of the disciples. How about the book of Acts? Did it continue? Healings, 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 miracles. And if you read the writings of the early church fathers, it continued on. I mean, centuries and centuries past the book of Acts, we have record of healings and miracles and people talking in tongues and all these things. But what happened? Somebody somewhere prayed for somebody and they didn't get healed. And so they come back and say, well, it must not have been God's will and built a new doctrine. Did you hear me? And somebody didn't receive and didn't get healed and they died early. And so somebody said, well, you just never know. (laughs) And God in his infinite wisdom chose to take our dear brother now because he needed another angel in the choir. And God needed him more than we did. And not have a single scripture for all the stuff they're talking. But it's been swallowed hook, line, and sinker by millions did you hear me? Now you got to make up your mind. You might say, well, that's what I've heard and believed. Yeah, okay. What scriptures do you have for it? We're reading scriptures today. Right here. And we've shown you scripture after scripture after scripture and chapter after chapter. And we're going to stay with it. But just take this. Is this a word from the Lord? I mean, I don't care if I came to you and I said, yay, thus saith the Lord. It wouldn't be stronger than this. This. Is a word from the Lord. Right? Do you have a word from the Lord tonight? What did he tell you? Would it mean any more to you? If the Jesus. The master. The Messiah. If he appeared right here where I'm standing. Right now. And he looked at you and called your name. And said. It is my desire. Above all things. For you to prosper. And be in health. As your soul prospers. Then would you leave out of here and go, well, you just never know. I mean, sometimes people are poor and God uses that and you just, I'm just not sure if he wants to pay my bills or get me out of that. Well, what do you do with folks like that? Well, they stay broke and they stay sick and they try to blame it on God, but it's not true. I believe this. I believe I serve a God who loves me so much. And he's done everything for me. 
He's bought and paid for every good thing for me. And it is his will. Like any daddy for his child that he loves. I mean, how many fathers do I have in here? you got natural children. Do you want to see your child sick? How many in here you would raise your hand back up and say, yeah, sometimes I like to see them with a little sickness in their life. Because you know it teaches them things. You know, a little leukemia or a little cancer or a little AIDS, you know, can be a positive thing in a child's life from time to time. Well, no. I said, no. No. Why are you like that? Because all natural fatherhood that is true came from the Father. The Father of spirits. How many of you want your children to struggle financially? Certainly not. Certainly not. You don't say, well, you know, it's not good to always be ahead on your finances. For the kids, they just don't, you know, they need to get behind from time to time. It just builds character and it helps them. No. I said no. You got to have satanic help to think that way. And he is always ready there to offer it, to get people, you know, people don't even believe this stuff in the world naturally. They only believe it in a religious, you know, goofed up sense in church. Anybody out in the world knows you're sick, go to the doctor and try to get better. Right? If you're broke, it's better to come out and get ahead. I mean, sinners know that. You have to have satanic help to come in and take scriptures and twist them around. And go, well, sometimes in the infinite wisdom of God. Well, anybody with any discernment knows you're gone. You are out. You're off. The Lord uh, said something to me. I don't mean I heard an audible voice, but just this very week. Something that's stronger in my spirit than it's ever been before. And it's what we're talking about here. And this is what he said, because I was hearing, you know, uh, some of the uh, Muslims and, you know, the Bin Laden tape and some of that stuff. And he's talking about, you know, certain things, if it's the will of Allah, if it's the will of God. He's talking about murder. He's talking about terrorism. And, you know, people are maybe they're not talking about murder, but in Christian circles, you hear people all the time talking about, well, you know, healing if it's the will of God or, you know, helping us financially if it's the will of God are things that should be obvious. But they add, well, if it's the will of God. And the Lord said to me, people who talk like that are people who don't know me. People who are always questioning the will of God, they don't know God. Did you hear me? Now, you know, just take people, for instance. Uh, I know after, you know, 10, 12 years with my parents, I was beginning to know them a little bit. And I remember distinctly one day they had given me chores. I'm supposed to go help get the corn in. And I'm not talking about with the combine. This combine right here. (laughs) Hands. And uh, two of my Romping buddies came by, and they said, hey, man, let's go swimming. And uh, I said, I can't. I got to go pull the corn. And they said, oh, yeah, you know, well, go ask your mom. 
And I said, ain't no need in asking, Mom. <laughs> Why? Because I know Mom's will. Why? Because I know Mom well enough to know that she's already told me to get the corn in. And she's not going to change in midstream here and say, well, I'll go swimming. Well, go ask your dad. Maybe he'll let you out. I said, nah, I'd rather ask mom. <laughs> and I remember, you know, it's funny how you remember some of these things. They're urging me, come on, man, go ask your daddy. You know, I said, no, no, no. There's no need in asking daddy. Why? Because I knew his will. Why did I know his will? Because I knew him. Did you hear me? And so when you know God, then you know his will. Now, we don't know all there is to know about God, so we don't know all there is to know about his will and everything. But if you know God, there are some things that you quit asking questions about. Did you hear me? If you know God, you don't ask, is it his will to save you? Is it his will to forgive you of your sin? Asking questions like that show that you don't know God. And then people, you know, they're asking, well, is it God's will to heal? Or will he help me pay my bills? Or will he help me get my family straightened out? Will he help me with my kids? And I don't know. Maybe he will. Maybe it's not his will. What they just get through telling you? They don't know him very well. Right? Because when you know him, the more you know, and we're all getting to know him better every day. But the more you get to know him, there's some things you quit asking. It's been decades and decades since I asked God if it was his will to heal me. Did you hear me? I don't ask that anymore. Why? I've come to find out he's my healer. He's my father. It's his will. Why did Jesus take those stripes? You know, it's like standing at the cross and looking at Jesus hanging on the cross and suffering and dying and bleeding and going, is it your will to save me? Well, why is he there? Right? It's looking at him tied to the whipping post. Taking stripe after. He didn't have to do that to pay the price for your sin. Did you hear me? I was hanging on the cross. Why is he doing this too? Well, the Bible tells us, by his stripes, ye were born again? No. Saved from sin? No. What? Healed. Healed. Well, why would I look at Jesus tied to the whipping post? Being scourged and tortured and go, Jesus, do you want me healed? Well, why is he there? Why is he taking your sicknesses? Why is he carrying your pains? You see what I'm saying? The more you know him, you quit asking certain questions. Right? You know, Lord, is it your will for me to go get high tonight? Lord, is it your will for me to have an affair on my wife? Well, (laughs) why would you mask such a thing? You'd have to really be ignorant of God. Right? Like Brother Hagin, you know, Kenneth Hagin, my father in the faith who's in heaven now, he said, uh, a fellow came to him one time, wanted him to pray that God would give him another man's wife. And he was already married. But he was wanting him to pray to see if it was God's will, you know, that he could get loose from his wife and get this other man's wife. Well, what do we know right away? He does not know God. Right? Right? <laughs> Just let's say, Lord, can I steal Brother Keith's car? I mean, is it your will? <laughs> well, no, it's not the will of God for you to steal my car. You run into my angels, you try that too. They're big. 
tough. Uh, you know, I actually heard this on the news some years ago. A fellow was robbing a bank and the police caught him like two blocks away and they had him on the news. And he said he didn't understand it. He prayed before he robbed that bank and asked the Lord to help him get away. He was serious. He, he was not joking. He was upset because he was expecting to get away with God's help. What do we know about this fellow? Bless his darling heart, as Brother Hagin used to say, and stupid head. <laughs> he doesn't know God, right? And just because you know God some in this area doesn't mean you know God in another area. That's why we ought to always be pressing in, in the Word, and in prayer, and drawing near to Him, and getting to know Him. And then we stop asking dumb questions. Like, is it His will for us to prosper? Did you hear me? We stop asking dumb questions. Like, is it His will to heal us when He told us, right straight out of the Holy Bible, that heaven and earth will pass away, but this will never pass away. And He said, it is my desire... Above all things, that you boys and girls prosper and be in health, even as your soul prosper. Well, that's good enough for me. Done. Amen. It is God's will for me to prosper. It is God's will for me to be healed. And he tells me how it's going to happen. It's not going to start in my pocketbook. It's not going to start in my cash in my hand. It's not going to start in my checking account or savings account or my investments. It's going to begin where? In my soul. i got to prosper in my soul. And as I prosper inside, that's going to affect the outside. i got to quit talking poverty. i got to quit thinking poverty. i gotta, I got to quit making plans to do what poor people do. Even if I've been a poor person all my life, i got to begin to say, I'm rich. I'm rich. He's made me rich. And think rich and talk rich and make confessions. Amen? And expect And as my soul prospers, then I'm going to prosper physically in my body, and I'm going to prosper financially and materially in my life. Well, we have uh, taken time in the past weeks to establish the will of God for prosperity through numerous areas. We've seen God revealed himself to us through his redemptive names. We didn't look at all of them, just a couple. He is El Shaddai. There's nothing broken poverty about that. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who sees ahead and provides. Nothing poverty about that. We see some dozen plus times in the scriptures where God himself refers to himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember that? And so we ask the question, you know, Abraham is alive right now. I mean, not in the flesh, but in heaven. And so is Isaac, and so is Jacob. And if we could sit down and visit with them at their mansion on high. Uh, It's nice, don't you know? Yours is too. I said, yours is too. They're working on it right now for you. And he knows just what you like. But if you could sit down with Abraham and said, Abraham, you know, there's a lot of talk in the earth today. A lot of Christians are not sure if it's God's will to prosper them or not. What would you say to them and then hold the mic out? Father Abraham, we have many Christians in the earth today from different denominations, and some of them take vows of poverty and say God told them to. And some of them are broke all their life and say that God chose that for them. Uh, Do you agree with that, Isaac? Uh, What do you think? He'd say, well, I'll tell you what I think. Let me tell you what I know. 
Abraham would say, when I was on the earth, God covenanted with me to bless me. And he said everybody that blessed me would be blessed. Everybody that cursed me would be cursed. And he would make me a great blessing. And he did. He gave me so many cows. We didn't have enough land to run them. Gave me so many camels and so many goats. Gave me so much silver and so much gold. Right? That's who I knew. And since I've been to heaven, I've learned a lot more about it too. You know, streets of gold and all. God's rich, rich, oh, he's rich, 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 and he's your daddy. What kind of God did Abraham know? God who made him rich. God who blessed him, right? Anybody got your notes out? Can you review a little bit with me? Help me. What kind of God did Abraham know? God who blessed him. What else? God who made him very rich in stuff. What else did he know about what kind of God did he know? Huh? Yeah, a God who was a protector and a restorer and a God who was faithful. And we talked about there's two sides to this thing. What kind of man did God know that he could bless him like he did? What kind of man was Abraham? Obedient. Obedient. Boy, that's a big one, isn't it? We keep seeing this come up, don't we? An obedient man, a man who did what God told him to do, went where God told him to go, stayed where God told him to stay. An obedient man. What other kind of man was Abraham? Tither. Is that right? Tither. What other kind of man was he? Hospitable. Well, the other one was, he's a man who preferred his brother. He's a man who walked an unselfish man. Right? Unselfish man. And the Bible says faith works by love. And then also he was hospitable. He enjoyed taking care of people and doing things for them. And Faith Life Church does too. We enjoy it. We excel it at it. Uh, the Lord's been talking to me some the last few weeks about what happened at our uh, celebration Sunday. He's pleased with that. Amen. And some th- I didn't even know some things we were beginning to tap into, and it thrills my heart that we're beginning to do some things that he's, he, it's in the scripture. He told us to do it, and we're going to do it some more. I'm thinking about having another time like this, not waiting another year. Amen. Does that suit you? Would that be good to you? I think we should have it at least twice a year. Amen. And so uh, be praying about that with me. Let's be believing. And I'm telling you, I mean, that was the very beginning. That was good. And that was just the beginning. Man, this thing's going to come up way, way on up. And we're going to please God. And a lot of people are going to be blessed. I'm happy about it. I believe the Lord's pleased with some of those things. We're going in the right direction with it. He's a giver, isn't he? Yeah. So are we. Amen. Yeah. He delights in blessing. Us. You know, you read sometimes, do a word study on stranger. That means somebody that just showed up. <laughs> and how you're supposed to love the stranger and do for, well, we might call him today visitor. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, I'm telling you, it's getting out on us and it's going to get out on us. You show up to church and you might leave with a new car. <laughs> or with your house paid off. Amen. Just show up. You know, Phyllis and I were in Canada, what was that, two or three years ago, four or five years ago, or longer, whatever. (laughs) Once upon a time, we were in Canada having a meeting. And uh, at the beginning of the meeting, 
I forget exactly how it went, but I had something in my heart for us to just wait on the Lord a little bit and praise God extra and pray a little bit. And Phyllis got something on her heart during that time, a word of knowledge about a lady there who owed, you didn't know, somebody here who owed, what was it, 300 and something dollars? I mean, it was a specific amount she got in her spirit, like 362, something like that. Did you also have it in your heart that they had the bill with them? And they were concerned about it. They were upset about it. Somebody said, well, 362, is that a lot of money? Well, it depends on what you got. I mean, it could be a whole lot of money, right? It depends on where you are. And uh, <clears throat> I remember a time when 360 looked to me as big as 3 million. I mean, does now. I mean, it depends on where you are. We didn't know who. So we had everybody close their eyes. You know, the Lord's not interested in embarrassing people that are hurting financially. He's not. This is the kind of giving where it's talking about don't let your left hand know what your right hand does. That's the kind of giving. Giving to the, the Bible says, alms to the poor. That's what it calls it. Well, uh, so we asked, is there somebody here that's got a bill for that amount? You got the bill with you? Well, about what, four or five rows back? One lady puts her hand up. Yeah, way past due. And she was the only one put her hand up. I mean, thousands and thousands of people. And uh, so I had uh, everybody else had their eyes closed. Nobody looking around. Nobody. Ushers, nobody looking around. Except I had the pastor looking with me. Because I thought he might know. I asked him off the microphone. I said, you know? He said, no, I don't know. I said, doesn't matter. So Phyllis had it in her heart. She said, I want to give $100 towards that 300 and somebody else said, I want to give a 50. Somebody said, I want to give a 100. And I mean, that $360, I mean, it was like five seconds and it was there. I said, well, praise God. Glory to God. We saw who it was. And uh, afterwards, we'll have the uh, the pastor's going to contact you personally and because we didn't want them embarrassed. And I'm about getting ready to go on. And a lady from the back over in the corner says, wait now. <laughs> said, you're... <laughs> You're not going to let us get in? <laughs> and uh, I said, what? She said, I want to give. Somebody said, me too. And somebody said, me too. And me too. And I said, well, great. Bring it on. <laughs> and they got up out of their chairs and they brought money and they brought money and they brought money and they brought money and they brought thousands of dollars. And uh, after the service was over, the pastor got with this lady and sure enough, she had that bill in her purse. And that was the amount, the exact amount. And man, instead of $362, she got thousands of dollars. Somebody said, you know, did you know her? No, it was her first time to the church. (laughs) She was just visiting the service that night. (laughs) Well, it pays to come to church. Amen. Glory to God. But I'm just saying... You know, I really sent something that night in my heart. Instead of, you know, like you've seen before, sometimes people pulling on people, oh, please give, please give. They were saying, no, please let us give, please, please let us get in. Don't, don't close it now. Let us get in. That's scriptural. You read about that in second Corinthians. Amen. Glory to God. It is the will of God that what? We prosper and be in health even as our soul Prosperous. Now I guess I ought to look at my notes. Uh, Go back to the book of Genesis, please. And we'll start this way. 
We've talked about the God of Abraham, what kind of God Abraham knew. For the last two sessions, we talked about what kind of God Isaac knew. We're going back to Genesis uh, 27. And uh, we saw that Isaac knew a God who made his daddy so rich that he started out life inheriting everything he had and was a multi-billionaire to start life. With a really pretty wife. That's a good start. Right? Multi-billionaire and pretty wife. Covenant with God. Amen. And he knew a God who told him where to sow and where to stay. And he followed in his daddy's footsteps and obeyed God. Even when he was really pulled and tempted to go down to Egypt because there was famine in the land, the Lord told him, no, you stay right here. Right? And he did. He stayed right. He said, now you sow here. It looked like it would have been throwing seed away. But he sowed where God told him to sow. He stayed where God told him to stay. And he reaped in one year 100 times what he sowed. He knew a God of the hundredfold. Amen. He knew a God who blessed him so much that sinners became envious of him. Because he was more financially stable and stronger than even the king in the area where he lived. And the king came and sent people and asked him, would he please move because he's showing him up. Now that's something. Then I doubt if Isaac would agree that sometimes it's not God's will to prosper. He didn't know a God like that. Has God changed? No. Certainly not. Never will. He knew a God who blessed him so much that the sinners envied him. Let's go on tonight and at least introduce this and talk about it. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of who? Jacob. If we could sit down with uh, Jacob, who's our, who's our father in the faith and walking with God, and, and ask him, uh, Mr. Jacob, you know, what kind of God did you know on the earth? What kind of God have you become better acquainted with since you've been in heaven? Did he know a God of poverty or God of prosperity? Well, in Genesis, the 27th chapter, we'll see how Jacob got his start and how God dealt with him. Genesis 27. This is the account in Genesis 27. When Jacob's father... Uh, was speaking a blessing over him, which he was getting through fraud. Jacob was a deceiver, a tricker. His brother Esau was the firstborn and should have gotten the firstborn blessing, which meant more money. I think a lot of times we haven't thought about this, but we're talking about compared to today's money, we're talking about billions of dollars. All of Abraham's wealth and now that combined with all of Isaac's wealth is what is going to be split up between these two boys. We're talking, you know, you see people today, they'll squabble and fight over mom and daddy's $10,000 act like they're going to kill each other. What about billions Well, the firstborn got the bigger cut. That's just the way it was. 
And he also got the responsibility of the headship of the family. And there were spiritual things as well as natural things. Well, Jacob wanted that slot. And all the money that went with it and everything else. And his mama, you can see where he got it. Right? You know, child problems are really parent problems by and large. You know that, don't you? You know, you see little children, and they come into Sunday school rooms, and they're cussing the other little kids. Where'd they get that? Right? Slapping each other, and selfish and mean. And little kids, when they come into this earth, they're like blank sheet of paper. And I tell you what, they pick up on everything. Don't you think they don't? I mean, it's funny to me sometimes you see parents that they think that they're hiding stuff from their kids. There's only one way for something not to get in your kids, and that's for you to get it out of you. That's it. That's the only way. You can't play games and pretend. And so, you know, where did Jacob get this tricky stuff slipping around behind daddy's back? Well, his mama told him. I said, his mama told him. That's where he got it. She said, well, son, you know, go in there and pretend like you're Esau. Well, a woman of integrity would have never said anything like that. Right? How many understand that there is never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, a legitimate reason for lying? Ever. There is no situation where deception and lying is justifiable. There is none. You ought to be willing to die before you lie. I'm serious. Because you and your word are one. If your word is no good, then you are not a person of integrity. And your own heart knows it. You cannot be a person of faith. Do you know that? You cannot be a person. Your faith doesn't work if your word's no good. Let me explain briefly. I mean, Mark eleven twenty three. what does it say? Anybody know? Whoever will speak and say to the mountain, this is speaking then, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe what? Believe what? What does he have to believe? Believe the word of God? That's not what he said. Got to believe that God is faithful? That's not what he said. What has he got to believe? You've got to believe what you say. Right? Well, if you're lying part of the time or half of the time or once in a while, your own heart knows that your word is not always true. So your confidence for faith and speaking faith words is undermined. That's why it's so vital. I mean, our whole life is based on faith. Whether we live or die, whether we're saved or lost, I mean, it's based on our faith. So we must adhere to our words. If you say you're going to do it, man, you know, if you're breathing, (laughs) you be there. Or something comes up that's completely different than you call and you say, hey, this has come up. There's been a few times that I've told people, not too often, but a few times in these 20 plus years that I've been traveling, that something came up. For instance, I had some meetings scheduled. This would have been 10 years ago, I guess, or better. And uh, Brother Hagen had asked me to do some things with him. He's my father in the faith that exactly conflicted with my other obligations. Well, I don't want to tell him no, but I've got obligations. So what do I do? I call these other fellows who Brother Hagen was also, for at least a couple of them, their father in the faith.
And I told them, I said, he has asked me to do this with him. Do you feel good about releasing me from this? Because if you don't, I've told you I'll come. I'll be there. And a couple of them said, oh, yeah, Brother Keith, yeah. I mean, if Brother Hagen asked you, because he's their spiritual father, too. And that's how it should be. They should do it out of respect for him, even if they didn't like me. Right? But I thought they liked me, too. And they said, oh, no, Brother Keith, we'll schedule another time. I said, thank you. Thank you for being gracious. What if they said, no, we want you to come? Well, then I told them I'd come. Right? You stay with your word is what I'm talking about. That doesn't mean you can't talk. You can talk. That's what I'm trying to give an example of. You can talk and say, hey, this has come up. But uh, if you're always compromising your word, then you're undermining your own faith and ability to believe. And so he learned this from his mother. And he went in there and he tricked his daddy, who was older. And uh, he gave him the blessing that's supposed to go to Esau. But it wasn't just all, you know, unbeknownst to God. Esau had despised his birthright. Now, the Lord didn't do this. The Lord was not in this deception. But when it was all said and done, he allowed the blessing. Because of the one despising his birthright. And eventually, Jacob qualified for this. And it took some years. But eventually he did qualify. But anyway, this was the blessing. Verse 28. Genesis 27, 28. God give you of the dew of heaven. Genesis 27, 28. And the fatness of the earth. And plenty of corn and wine. Everybody say plenty. Plenty. Fatness. Fatness. Plenty. Does this sound like poverty to you? Let people serve you. And nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brethren. Let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone that curses you. And blessed be he that blesses you. This sounds a lot like the blessing of Abraham, doesn't it? That's because it continues from generation to generation. Does it apply to us at all? Is the blessing of Abraham ours? Does it belong to us? Yes, it does. Now... If you read the rest of the story, then you'll see that when Esau found out about this, he was kind of a rough fellow anyway. He made up in his mind, as soon as daddy dies, I'm going to kill that rascal. And he fully intended to kill him, take him out. And he was just laying, waiting, biding his time till daddy dies and he's going to kill Jacob. Well, his mama saw this. And besides that, You know, Esau had married, what was it, Hittite women? Ungodly women. And uh, it was driving mom and daddy batty, these women that he had married. And they said, you know, you can't marry women like this. You got to go find a godly woman and you got to get out of here because your brother's wanting to kill you. And so he had to leave home. And here he is, a young man, leaving home. Boy, he had it made at home. His daddy's rich, rich, rich. They got the best of everything. Now he's out there with a backpack. (laughs) Going who knows where. Kind of reminds him of his grandpa, doesn't he? He's out. And and remember he went to bed one night. And he had this dream. And he saw angels going up and down. 
And when he woke up, he said, whew, man, this is a holy place. This is a special place. And look in the 28th chapter. And no doubt Jacob was scared. You know, he's out on his own. And he doesn't know if he's going to make it or if he's not. And uh, the Lord comforted him in verse 13. Genesis 28, 13. He said, I'm the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And the land where you're laying on, I'm going to give it to you and to your seed. Now, that's something, isn't it? You're laying out there camping out. All you got's a backpack. Your brother wants to kill you. You're on your own. You're a kid almost. And God tells you, this land you're laying on right now, you're going to own this. I trust that your hearts are open to these kind of things. You got to be able to think big. Amen. I've heard numerous testimonies of people that were at the bottom. I mean, at the bottom of the totem pole in a big business. And the Lord told them, I'm going to give you this business. They thought, huh? Yeah, I'm going to give it to you. And sure enough, it didn't happen overnight. But within a few years, they're running the thing. My, my. If you can believe. If you can believe. You can go from renting the smallest little thing to owning the hotel. Owning the apartment building. You can go from washing the car to owning the car lot. Did you hear me? If you can think like this. Remember, to prosper outwardly, what has to happen first? I'm talking about soul prosperity now, where you think different. Back to Abraham now. God takes him outside one night. God did the same thing with him. He said, you know, after Lot took the best land, he said, you come up here on this rise. He said, look north. You see all that? He said, yes, sir. He said, look east. You see all that? Yes, sir. South. Yeah. West. You see all that land? You he said, yes, sir. He said, I'm going to give you all of this. I'm going to give all of this to you. Everybody say owning. 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 God's a God of ownership. Amen. You're going to have all this. I'm going to give you all this. And what did Abraham do? Huh? You slap his knee and go, you got to be kidding, God. No. No. What kind of man was he? Remember when he took him outside and he said, look up in the sky. You see all these stars? Can you count all these stars? Certainly not. Can you count all the sand on the seashore? No. He said, this how many kids you're going to have. And he didn't have a one. And his wife couldn't conceive. But what did Abraham say? Huh? I'm drawing you a parallel now. Abraham believed God. He said, yes, sir. You are big enough to do it. If you want to do it for me, I'm your man. Here I am. Yes, sir, go ahead. How about Mary? Huh? Same kind of thing? I mean, you see, when the angel talked to Zacharias, he had to shut his mouth. Right? Because he's going, huh? Elizabeth's old and I'm old. What do you mean? We're going to have a baby. He said, it's going to happen, but you're going to have to shut up. Zip. But Mary, what did he tell her? You're going to conceive. She said, how can this be? I, I don't have a husband. I've never been with a man. He said, yeah, but the Holy Ghost is going to come over you. The power of the highest is going to overshadow you. she understand all that? Certainly not. But what did she say? <laughs> Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. 
be it to me just like you said. Well, see, it's got to be that way with all of us in the area that God talks to us. You can't laugh. You can't scoff. You can't make fun. Huh? And you can't just slough it off when your pastor says, God's going to raise you up. He's going to give you your own things. He's going to make you rich. And you go, mm, yeah, I guess so. Uh-uh. No, you got to agree with me. And most importantly, agree with the Holy Ghost. Agree with your God and go, yes, yes. Behold, the servant of the Lord, the handmaid of the Lord. I'm here, Lord. I'm your man. I'm your woman. What? You want to use me like this? Here I am. And if he tells you he's going to do something for you, don't you say, how in the world could it be? No, no. You just say, yes, sir. Thank you. I believe it. I will believe it. I want to do this with you. And you say, yes, sir. Thank you. You can do it. I could never do it, but you can do it. And I will work with you. I'll believe you. I'll cooperate with you. Right? How many are going to work with God? You say, yeah, here I am, Lord. Use me. Send me. I will agree. I'll yield. No laughing. No scoffing. No making fun. No asking, how can you do it? No, just agree. Agree. Right? If he tells us something that's so huge, we've never imagined it before. What are we going to say? Yes, sir. You can do it. You can do it. If you say you'll do it, you will do it. We will agree. No matter how impossible it seems or no matter what, we don't have to see how. We walk by faith. Here at Faith Life Church. Yes, we do. And he told him, he said, I'm going to give you all this. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to keep you. Don't you know that was music to Jacob's ears? This young man out here on his own. Verse 16, he woke up out of his sleep. He said, surely the Lord's in this place. And I didn't know it. And you know, he built a thing out of stones, a memorial, an altar there. And in verse 20, Jacob vowed a vow. And he said, If God will be with me, in other words, like he told me he would be, and he'll keep me in this way that I'm going, and he'll give me bread to eat and clothes to put on. Well, now you stop right there. You can see what he was thinking, can't you? He's thinking, man, I may starve out here. Right? He's on his own. He ain't got mama to look out for him no more. He ain't got daddy's money. He's out on his own. He's thinking, you know, am I going to make it? I don't even know anybody. I don't even know exactly where I'm going. Oh, but the Lord assured him and comforted him and said, I'm with you. Not only am I going to be with you and protect you, I'm going to give you all this land you're laying on. Somebody say, he's a good God. He said, if you'll do this for me, Lord, keep me in the way that I go and give me bread to eat and clothes to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace. No doubt the devil had been telling him, you will never see your daddy or mama again. You will never get back home. Then shall the Lord be my God. This stone which I've set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you shall give me, I will surely give the tenth unto you. Hmm. He's making a commitment. I said he's making a commitment. Isn't he? You know the rest of the story? Was the Lord with him? Was he with him? Did he keep him? Did he protect him? Yeah. Protected him from some of the same seed he had sown. Right? Deceptiveness and trickery. We'll talk more about that. But uh, I mean, uh, before it was all said and done, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. But you've read it, I trust. You know the story. He came back with people. I mean, whole groups and teams of people and flocks and herds. I mean, they filled the land. And when he left, he had a stick and a backpack. 
wonder if he kept his commitment to God. Everything. Is that what he said? Everything you give me, I'm going to return the tenth to you. Where'd he get that? Well, he got that from his daddy, Isaac. He got that. Where'd Isaac get it? Got that from Abraham. Your people arguing sometimes say, well, you know, tithing, that's under the law. How many understand we ain't got to the law yet? Right? This is Genesis. We ain't got to the law yet. Right? No, tithing was before the law, during the law, and after the law. Right? I mean, it's not a law thing. It's not a legal thing. It's an honoring God thing. It's a I know where my blessing comes from thing. It's a I know who my source is thing. It's a I'm thankful for where this came from thing. Amen? It's I'm going to put God first and support his things first thing. That's what it's always been about. But what kind of man did God know in Jacob that he was able to bless him? Well, we see two things right away. He was a man who changed. Who was willing to change. And he was a man who put God first in his finances, he was a man who tithed. Just like his grandfather, and in all likelihood his daddy before him. Though it didn't specifically say so. It does specifically say so with Abraham and Jacob. Well, have you had enough for tonight, or can you take a little bit more? Hmm? At least a little bit more, maybe. In the 30th chapter, I think this would be a better place to unhook tonight. You know the story. If you haven't read it in a while, go back and read it tonight or tomorrow sometime. And man, this is good reading. I mean, this is better reading than any romance novel or mystery. I mean, this is good stuff here, man. I mean, and it's not fiction, it's real. And it affects you. Here's a young man out on his own, not knowing what's going to happen to him. Supernatural. God spoke to him. He got up that next morning. He's a different man. He's got more confidence. He knows something his daddy knew and his granddaddy knew. God is real. And he's in covenant with me just like he was with daddy. Just like he was with grandpa. And uh, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be blessed. And no doubt as he's walking along, he's thinking about, (laughs) it's going to be mine. That tree's going to be mine. And that hill over there, that pond. Whew, it's all mine. He's just a young, young man. Well, he showed up at his kinfolk's house. You remember that? Nobody remember that? He's looking for Laban. He's looking for Nahor's house. And uh, he showed up at the well, you know. You remember all that? And uh, he's asking about, he said, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor, in verse 5? All his folk at the well. They said, yeah, we know him. He said, well, is he doing good? They said, yeah, he's fine. And Rachel, his daughter, is coming out with the sheep. And uh, so anyway, when she showed up, he was struck. He thought, whew, man, Rachel. And he, young man, he's going to show off and uh, try to distinguish yourself, and he went and opened up the well single-handedly. When normally they had to wait for everybody to show up and move the rock, well, he kind of showed off, and he got that rock out of the way, and he said, here, uh, Miss Rachel, you don't have to wait. Now, you go ahead and water your sheep right now. Let me help you. And he was very helpful that day. (laughs) And he kissed Rachel. 
Now, this is not a, you know, kiss like you might think. I mean, this is a greeting kiss. He probably put a little extra into it, though. (laughs) And uh, told her who he was, you know, and uh, that they were uh, actually related. And uh, when it, you know, came about, you know, they brought him home and uh, they told the whole story. And eventually Laban said, well, you know, you got to stay with me. And he said, you know, it's not right for you to work for free, so he's going to pay. And he said, after a while, he said, you know, Jacob couldn't get Rachel off his mind. And so he asked for her hand in marriage and um, they agreed to it. He said, sure, but you got to work with me. You got to work for me for a year. At the end of the year, Jacob showed up. Don't you know he's been thinking about it? <laughs> you know, his girl for a year now. And he said, hey, the year is up, man. I mean, I'm ready to be married. And he said, great, great. They had a big party and they're supposed to introduce the bride at the tent, you know, after the ceremony. And they brought the wrong woman Uh-oh. to the tent. And the next morning he woke up and it was the wrong girl. Leah, that must have been some party, don't you think? <laughs> wow. You would think, you know, you'd notice that this was the wrong girl. But <laughs> it was... I mean, the Bible's straight. It don't hide all this stuff. It just tells it like it is. And so anyway, he came and he was, oh, he was so insulted. Now, let's stop about it. He just got duped. Big time. Boy, you reap what you sow. Is that right? Trickers get tricked. Cheaters get cheated. Liars get lied to. Did you hear me? It's just a fact. He tricked his daddy. That's a big deal. His father-in-law tricked him with the wrong woman. That's a big deal. Right? <laughs> but he sowed it, didn't he? He sowed deception and he reaped deception. And it didn't end there. But he served another year and he got to finally marry the right woman that he intended to. Should a year, didn't it? Thank you. Seven years. Excuse me. Seven years. And then he served another seven years. Right? Fourteen years. Excuse me for that. I know better than that. But then, these fourteen years, he's working. Everybody say working. Working. What other kind of man did God know? This was rough work. If you read through this whole passage, you'll see that, you know, Laban talks about any of, you know, he and Jacob had discussions about the flocks and herds. And he tells him, he said, I was with them in the cold and the heat. I watched over them at night to see that the wolf didn't get them and the lion didn't get them. This is rough work. It is all day and all night and in the elements and in danger. You can't be lazy. And be fully blessed. You can't be afraid to be inconvenienced. And comfort can't be the most important thing in your life. Did you hear me? It can't be. You know, sometimes people talk about us. They say, oh, Brother Keith, you know, you travel with Brother Hagen and and y'all live in a nice place and you got a nice church now and boy, y'all got it made. I'm not going to disagree with them. You got that right. Say it again. Brother Key's got it made. Yes, he does. He and Phyllis got it made. 
But there's a whole lot people hadn't seen behind the scenes. I mean, you know, in order to do certain things, I don't know at the times that you're up before daylight and the cold and you're having to deal with the elements and you're having to deal with this and that and prep things and get things ready. And and people think, well, you just probably lay around and goof off all the time. Well, you can't. If you want things to be right, you can't. And if you ever get that way, you're going to start slipping backwards. Don't care how blessed you get. There's a time. Uh, just on this flight training stuff. I was at a place a while back, you know, and I'm having to get up before daylight and it's cold and I'm tired and I'm thinking, boy, you know, do I want to do all this? And you're mentally, boy, you're just taxed and loaded to the hilt. Why am I doing this? Well, so I can preach to two or three times as many people in one week. Personally. Did you hear me? With this kind of equipment. And I'm in control And I don't leave all these holes. See, we did this for years on the airlines. And that's fine. I'm not knocking that. But friends, there are so many other holes for the enemy to hinder you. Did you hear me? So many other ways and got so many other people involved. So much other people's equipment. You're not in control. You're not in charge. There's so much stuff. The enemy can throw wrenches and hindrances and knock you out of stuff. But when we can be in control... We can make preparations ahead of time. I can be led by the Spirit. I can do a different thing and not miss it. Be there on time. Get the job done. Can you say amen? amen. And you got to be faithful where God puts you. You know, uh, maybe somebody says, well, i got a call to be a prophet on my life. i got a call to be an apostle on my life. i got a call to be a pastor. Well, maybe you do. I don't know. But that doesn't mean you start there. Did you hear me? You don't start out at your ultimate call. Nobody does. Just because you're called to do something doesn't mean you're able to stand in that place right now. It takes training. And you've got to be faithful and you've got to pass tests. And then you go to the next phase of training. And you've got to be faithful and pass tests. You go to the next phase of training. I know exactly where my training started. I know right where it started at home. It started looking down the long rows and wishing I could go swimming, but not. You learn a valuable lesson. You ain't through till you're through. I remember we were little, we go, I'm hot, mama. You didn't say that many times. Boy, being a whiny baby. I want to do that. You learn. But it's sad that we've got a generation of young people who haven't learned these lessons. Sad. I mean, they get a little bit uncomfortable, so they quit. And, oh, that's a bad thing. You ever start quitting, where does it end? You learn a bad thing. You learn that it's just easier to quit. And when it gets tough and it's challenging, well, you just quit because it's hard. Oh, that's an awful thing. Because that can prevent you from ever reaching your potential. It can prevent you from ever passing the test and being qualified for what God has called you to. You either shouldn't be doing it at all or you finish it. I said you finish it. You do it. You finish it. If you didn't get it right the first time, you come back tomorrow. Did you hear me? If you didn't get it this week, you study some more and you go back next week. 
If you didn't get it this month, you go back and you pray some more and you rest and then you hit it harder this time. But you get it and if it takes you a year, if it takes you five, you do it, you get it, you finish it. Everybody say finish it. Finish it. Finish it. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't go halfway to the cross? You finish it. You finish it. I remember my training. I cut up chickens at the store. I stocked groceries. I fixed flats. And I pumped gas. And I learned valuable lessons about dealing with people. I learned service and hospitality. Our store was unusual. It was not unusual for somebody to pull up to our store. It's one of those old-fashioned general stores. Had the old wood stove in the middle where the old men sat around and talked and told stories. And it kept getting bigger and bigger. It developed. It was a little bit of a general store. Then it became a department store. Then we added an automotive thing. And it became a small little mini shopping center. And I became one of the second-in-commands there eventually. Started working there as a teenager, 13 years old. And uh, learning valuable lessons, though. Somebody pull up and hand me a list. Here, Keith. And they'd go sit down by the stove. I'd go get their groceries, cut up their chicken, and come back and, and ring them up and bag them up and go put them in the car and pull the car up and fill it up with gas and check the oil. Or maybe change the oil. And check the tires. And if they bought an appliance from me, I went to their house with them and put it in. And that's the kind of place we were, you know. And you, oh, you learn so much about people. And all of them had accounts. And you learn about dealing with people and their money. See, this is training. I didn't know it, but it's training. Every bit of it's training. I had to get there early. We'd work 14-hour days, a lot of time. But that's what you did. That's what it took to get the job done. Right? And thing after thing, and all my training with Brother Hagin, Phyllis had the same thing. She had job after job after job. She's learning how to do things and structure things and, and organize. And at this point, she's learned so much about these things. She wouldn't tell you this, but I guarantee you, if there's a train wreck, you could put her on it. She'd have the thing straightened out and categorized in one day. But how did it start? She started when she's working at 13 in a bakery. Organizing the BLTs. Thing after thing. Working at the women's wear at TWA. And, you know, you feel sorry for kids that never do anything. They won't even cut grass for mom and daddy. And lay up and play video games. And I say, well, it's this generation. It ain't this generation. It's people lowering their standard. It's people not teaching their values to their children. It's people getting sloppy and lazy. Did you hear me? And it makes it hard. It makes it hard on people. I mean, that's why kids, you know, the parents let the whole world revolve around the child. And then they show up at school and are shocked that the whole school doesn't revolve around them. <laughs> Did you hear me? Or they go try to work for somebody and are shocked. They think, you know, well, I'm here eight hours a day. You want me to work too? <laughs> I mean, what I'm talking about, we, we got a whole generation that don't know how to work. And we also got a generation that is not prospering. Did you hear me? It goes hand in hand. You can read other scriptures in Proverbs. It talks about the diligent will be made rich. Diligent. You got to stay focused after what God puts you on. Amen. You do it. You do it to the best of your ability. And if your ability comes short, you believe God to make up the rest. Right? 
And you do everything you do. If it's pumping gas or stocking a grocery shelf. You do it as unto the Lord. Right? And when you do that. You pass tests. And you qualify. And God will promote you. God promoted me. From the pumping gas. And changing the oil. And I'm filling out cards for people. To, that's coming to Brother Hagin's ministry. And then uh, I'm driving his car. And getting bread and soap for them. And checking on their stuff. And, and then he promoted me. And, and I'm helping in healing school. And then he promoted me. And, and I'm helping in prayer school. And he promoted me. And, and a lot of work behind the scenes that you didn't see. Paperwork. Oh, and I never enjoyed paperwork that much. And I'd come in and my desk would have this many files sitting on it. And oh, I didn't want to do that. Because I'm a speaking gift, you know. You understand what I'm saying? You could think that way. Boy, this is not my grace. What's that got to do with it? It's your job. Right? And oh boy. I had to, you know, I had to just make myself get enthused about doing this. <laughs> but this is the thing that the Lord, not just men. See, so get our eyes off of men. The Lord has given me this job. Right? So am I going to be sloppy with him or play? No. So here we go. Man, yeah, talk to myself. I like reading files. Your head says, no, you don't. You say, shut up. Yes, I do. Give me some more files to read. <laughs> and I'd get all of them done and feel good and come back the next day and they go, man, you did so well on those. We brought you two more stacks. And you go, oh, no. No. But kept doing it, kept doing it, kept doing it. And... Get, kept getting promoted, kept getting promoted, kept getting promoted. If you ever stop, though, if you ever get lazy, if you ever goof off, you stop getting promoted. And you can actually go backwards. Yeah. I don't know how come I'm getting into all that, but it's so anyway. What kind of man did Jacob become? He was a mama's boy. He was a liar. He was a deceiver. But can people change? Yes. They can change. Mama's boys can become strong men. Right? Liars can become men of integrity. Can't they? Yes, they can. Lazy people can become diligent people. You don't have to say, well, this is the way I grew up and this is the way. You're just telling me you don't want to change. You're unwilling to change. Because, you know, people with any sense understand you don't believe you can't change. Certainly you can. You can change. I'm glad we're enjoying this and having so much fun. Glory to God. Isn't this great? Yeah. <laughs> what was I talking about before I got off into all that? Jacob. He was faithful out there in the wilderness, wasn't he? Standing. I mean, it gets cold outside. Right in the nighttime. In the high desert. Whew. He probably had 12 blankets he's wrapped up in. He did this how long? Seven years, and then another seven years, and then some more. Right? That's a lot of cold and heat. Right? And if a lion got one of the sheep, if a bear got one of the sheep, he paid for it. He said, well, I should have been watching. Go back and read it. Is that right? He said, yeah, I let that bear get by me. And so he paid for it. 
He was a blessed man when it was all said and done, too. He passed tests. I said he passed tests. He qualified. And the Bible said that Laban tricked him and changed his wages ten times. Ten different contracts that Jacob failed to read the small print like he should. And Laban got him. And it burned him. But I mean, just because somebody gets you, I don't mean it's over. Well, somebody got me. Somebody took me. So? It's not over. I'm blessed. I have a covenant with God. The blessings on me, the anointing, the increase is on my life. Right? It ain't over. Well, they got me again. So? Somebody else took me. I've had ten bad deals in a row. So did Jacob. <laughs> got burned. Ten times. Ten times in a row. He got burned bad financially. But God protected him. And he kept watching over him. Next thing you know, he comes out. He is an owner. He has many employees. He has flocks uh, and herds uh, and camels, uh, donkeys, uh, gold and silver and kids. And God did it all for him. Can you say amen? amen? Stand up on your feet. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.